Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. This is the Ed Milet Show. Hey guys, today we're going to do something very different. A little bit of a trip down memory lane. We're going to take the best of the show from 2023. And I know many of you may feel like you've heard every episode, but I have highlighted the moments that stood out most to me that I think can get you ready for this next year and do something great with your life. We've got highlights from Matthew McConaughey, Jewel, Jeezy, Troy Aikman, Tim Tebow, and a host of others. I really believe the way we've cut this together is going to make a big impact for you, maybe even more so than the individual interviews did. And if you haven't seen all those interviews, you're going to be in for a treat because we've distilled it down to the points that I think you need to win biggest in 2024. No matter when you're listening or watching this, it'll serve you. But if it's at the beginning of the year, like I think it is, this is life-changing. And just a note of personal gratitude to all of you. We're the number one and fastest growing show in the world because so many of you share the episodes every single week. And I just want you to know I don't take that for granted. I work very hard to do this to help improve and change your life. And the fact that you share this with other people is the highest form of repayment you could ever give me. So I just wanted to say thank you for doing that. I'm honored to be in your lives. It's a blessing to me. And I cannot wait to do something great together in 2024. The best is yet to come. Enjoy today's episode. God bless you and Max out. If you listen to this show, you listen to this show because you want to have a happier, more fulfilling, more successful life, more than likely. And I have as a guest here today for the third time on my show, I'm so honored, the living of all the living people on the planet, the person who's helped the most people do that. About that. The billions of people on this planet and that have lived for the last, you know, 60 years, this man's helped more people have happy and fulfilling and successful lives than any other person, including me. And I'm honored to call him a friend. So welcome back. We're going to do that together today. Mr. Tony Robbins, welcome back to the show. Thanks, brother. Good to see you, Ed. Yeah, you too, man. I'm curious as a friend to ask you this too. Where are we? Like, let's just, let's start with a premise where you think we are in the world right now. I've always, you know, I respect people that can win in spring and summer. There's a lot of admiration for that, but I really respect people who can win during the winter or prevail yeah. during the winter. Do yeah. you feel like we're in that? Are we in winter? The media is telling us we're in the winter. Do you, where are we? Are we in the winter? How long do you think it's going to last? What's your overall sense of things right now? Winter can be a beautiful time, but you know, overall the theme is more fear. The greatest opportunity of your life will happen over the next probably five years to six years because baby boomers are all getting older and retiring and about 87% of businesses never get sold. This is the opportunity for you to grow and expand. It's like winter, you can freeze to death, or you can snowboard and ski and build your next business and be at home with your family and have a great time. I'm made for winter and my whole thing is help other people prepare for it because ignoring it or pretending it's not there is not gonna work. Hoping is not a strategy. You've gotta have tools and strategy and you gotta make yourself better. Today is the time to start retooling rather than saying, waiting for the government to rescue you. They're not gonna rescue you. There is no rescue, you gotta participate in your own rescue. Winter is gonna be five years, seven years, eight years. 
that's a scary thing for anybody to hear. And so what would you say yeah. to someone with fear? You got to stop thinking of yourself as managing your circumstances and remind yourself that you're a creator of your life experience. There's fear and there's faith. And as simplistic as that sounds, I ask people, what's the difference? They're both imagination, but fear is imagination undirected. It's like weeds, just grows automatically. Faith is you decide to be certain, you take action, you follow through. There's no guarantee of anything. There's no guarantee. I mean, people run around with a mask and they can walk outside and get hit by a truck. The media is not designed to inform or educate you. It's designed to startle you. If I startle you, you respond. Like you don't experience life. You experience the life you focus on. Yes. If you're focused on things that piss you off, you have to be deleting the things you could be grateful for. If you're grateful, you're deleting things that could piss you off, right? Your brain is not made to make you happy. That's your job. But the way you get happy is progress. If you grow, if you expand, if you find something that's more meaningful, you're able to share with other people, it becomes more than just you, and you're going to be happy. So someone's listening to so like, okay, I'm inspired. I've got some perspective, but I'm afraid. Well, yeah. I've got real fear. What techniques or strategies would you say to somebody if they're being honest you got to learn to direct yourself and train yourself to have certainty and that's a huge part as you know that i do with all my seminars because most people are living in uncertainty what makes somebody a leader is they find certainty in a world that's uncertain even if they're not smart some people follow somebody just because they're certain they know what's going on when people are uncertain they look for somebody who's certain well if you can develop that certainty not based on enthusiasm but based on a clear plan of how you can take advantage of winter where winter becomes your best season, hmm. then the fear will disappear. Hmm. But you've got to train your nervous system on a daily basis because here's the problem today. The media are not bad people. They're good people, but they're doing their job. And what are they rewarded for? Catching eyeballs. And we all know when it comes to the media, they get paid by getting your attention. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today's going to be just tremendous. This is somebody that I've wanted to get to know for a long time and pick his brain. We've got a bunch of mutual friends. And I'm really excited that he's taken a space into sort of beginning to share more of what he's learned in his life and the journey that he's been on, which is a freaking remarkable life journey with some of the most amazing stories I've ever heard in my life. By the way, he's also an Academy Award winner, best actor. And so if you don't know who he is, you've been living under a rock for a long time. And uh, today we'll unlift that rock and you'll get to know him a lot better than you probably ever have before. So. Matthew McConaughey, welcome to the show, brother. Ed, my life. good to be here with you, man. You paint this amazing distinction because I know it's been true in my life between need and want and why need is not a real good space to be in. I'm in Hollywood. I'm sleeping on this guy's couch, Don Phillips. I'm below a thousand bucks. I've been there a few weeks. I'm like, can you give me an agent meeting? And he snapped at me. Not that you need it too much. What you need to do is get the hell out of here. Go with your buddies and go ride motorcycles somewhere until you quit needing it so much because if Hollywood smells you needing it, you're, you're done. You're never in. And I did. About a week later, after I returned, we're sitting there at dinner. He goes, you're ready. Tomorrow morning, we got a meeting, William Morris. You're going to go down. And I was like, oh, cool. Five weeks earlier, I would have oversold myself. And they'd have been like, I'm not sure this guy's really, you know. Instead, I went in, really let them know, no, I actually think you need me. I got an agent. And then, I, damn it, if I had my first two auditions in Hollywood from that agent, I got the job. There's this quote I read of you said, I'd rather be a good man than a nice guy. Yes. And I think it goes to this point to some extent about standing for something. I read your book, my son went off to college. I said, Max, be a good man. Don't be a nice guy. 
And what that meant in our world was, hey, man, when you're confronted with something where you need to fit in and do something that's against your character and your values and beliefs, you don't need to be a nice guy. You need to be a good man, right? I also say in the book, be less impressed, more involved. Nice guy. Not a bad thing to be, but you are just connecting the safe dots. You're not really involved. You're not having an opinion. You're not saying, no, actually, I disagree in the face of the masses that might have a different opinion. A good man has to sacrifice some things, has to take some risk and take some responsibilities and follow through on them. Do we have the courage to take that into the daylight? As Emerson says, tomorrow when the lights are on and you're in the stadium, do we have the courage to go, I know that's true. I'll follow up on this in the face of adversity. You make this distinction between joy and happiness. And I have never heard this before in my life. Happiness, as most of us are taught, is result-oriented. If then. If I get this, then I will be happy. Mm. If I reach this goal, then I will be happy. It's almost like a ta-da moment. There's no ta-da moment. There's no hill that you get to the top of and you go, ah, finally, I did it. Because what do you see once you get to the top? Met thousand other hills. What I've noticed is joy is more the verb, enjoying the process of the doing. The best we can do is get to the end of this life and say, look back and go, well, I didn't make it to the top, but how many stairs did I ascend? Or how wide did my stairs reach? Or how deep did my roots grow? Just hmm. tally it up. And if there's life after this, hopefully the prime mover's going, well done. But I mean, I think that's as good as it gets. I'm so excited to have this man here today. He doesn't need any introduction. He's one of the most famous people in the world. But what I was just telling him off camera, one of the things I admire most about him is he's a very unique combination in one human being because he's got an incredible track record most of you may not know about as an entrepreneur. Built a $100 million, way past that net worth. He's only sold about 250 million records. So he's got kind of that going for him. He's also, you know, one of the most 20 most followed people in the world on social media, over 100 million combined followers. But he's written a book. I told him I read it in two days. And the first thing I told him is you need to do another one and you keep doing this because it's outstanding. Very rarely does someone who's achieved this level of success take the time to write a book to teach you how they did it because they're too busy doing it. Yeah. Most people that write books about how to do it haven't done it. Yeah. And he's done it. So Jason Derillo, welcome to the show. Thank you, man. Thanks so much for that uh, intro, especially coming from you. It means a lot, man. Thank you. The thing you say is you say success is rented. It's not owned. People get a little bit of success and then they cool it. They make a little bit of money. I'm making a hundred grand a year. I'm rich now. The rent is always going to come. There's always going to be a younger, more hungrier version of you that's coming next. It's never like one day I'm just going to be like, ah, I'm cool right here. Right. No. So I'm always thinking about like, how do I get to the next level? How do I get to the next level? And I think you have to be able to humble yourself enough to bring yourself down enough to realize that there's always room to grow. Mm. Even where I'm at in my life today, I'm trying to figure out how do I get better? I'm always learning. And I learn from anybody and everybody. People can say some really hurtful things. <laughs> if you like take a look at it, you could be like, damn, I could actually I could actually listen to that and kind of, mm. you know, implement that within my life. You can only rent success because if you don't keep paying that rent, it can easily be gone tomorrow. The achievement train, like the accumulation of awards or stuff, there was a point where I was like, 
this doesn't quite juice me like it did, and I'm not even sure it's healthy. It kind of morphed at some point into, who could I become? Well, that one doesn't tire me out and doesn't feel nearly as daunting. When I was a kid, I would have like this Lamborghini on my wall, and, and I'm like, I'm going to have that Lamborghini one mm-hmm. day. And it was about like stuff, you yeah. know, like my parents would argue about money, and I'd be like, yep. I'm going to fix that. Mm-hmm. When I get money, like my parents are no longer going to argue. Yeah. And I thought that like stuff and just owning things would make me happy. Mm-hmm. But my happiest moments have always been in the grind. Yeah. It's the journey that I've enjoyed the most. Mm-hmm. It's looking back at those 2 a.m., those 3 a.m., those 4 a.m., like, oh, you know, I was in the grind. I was doing my thing. I was, I was trying to make it. Yeah. Those are my favorite moments. You talk about choosing your competition. This is another super big key to success and making your dream come true. The average thing for somebody to do is pick somebody in their class and be like, okay, I want to become a basketball player, and so does he. Okay. I got to make sure that I'm better than him. But the fact of the matter is he's not going to the NBA. And if that's your competition, neither are you. You have to pick somebody in your mind that is way beyond what what you can imagine within your own circle. Because chances are the people in your circle are not going to make it. Don't try to compete against the people around you. Compete against the person that is already doing the thing that you want to do at the highest, highest level. How can you become what they are but more? This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. For real, legit. Guys you've watched fail. What did they do that you should not do? The difference, I think, for me was I was always humble enough to know that I still had to grow. I still had to become somebody else. I still have to wake up and put the same work ethic that I had when I was hungry. Mm. Now, just because I have accomplish some things in my life doesn't mean that I can now rest. I need to have that same fire that when I was actually hungry and I, you know, couldn't get something to eat when I wanted to get something to eat. I need to always remember who that person is and keep that same fire. But I've seen other artists, once they make it, they feel like they've made it and they stop to smell the roses. There's not enough time in the day to stop and smell the roses because there's somebody on your ass all the time. There's always that somebody on your tail. So you just got to keep pushing with that, with that same intensity. You can't let people catch up. This person sitting across from me, he's been on the show before. You guys all went nuts when he was on. But I got to tell you, he's probably the person whose content I share the most on the planet because I think it's that good. Um, I really, really like a lot of people uh, in the business space. I admire and listen to very few. And he has risen up the list for me of the people that I admire and I listen to the most because his content is so good. His message is so good because it's based in actual results and actual experience. My guest today is Alex Hermosi. Welcome back, brother. Thank you for having me and um, such a gracious introduction. I Just to apologize ahead of time to the audience, there's no way I will live up to that, but I'll do my absolute hardest. <laughs> I'll try my hardest. He will. 15 minutes in, he will have exceeded it. <laughs> Look, here's how I got wealthy. I don't play checkers in business. I'm playing chess. I've got multiple moves that I'm already making in front of the other one that's set up something else. Most people are like, I just got to get this client. And then once I get that, I'll breathe out loud. And then I'm going to go through this arduous, grinding, debilitating, horrific, self-loathing process to get one more. You can only see as far as like what's in front of you. If you are barely making rent and you're barely making payroll, 
it's really difficult to think about brand. It doesn't make it less important though, mm -hmm. but it's just really hard. Pick one method. You can mm -hmm. pick warm reach outs, you can pick cold reach outs, you can pick making content, you can pick uh, running paid ads. And those are all the things that you can do. So we start with the core four that a person can do. But of course, all four work better together. Now, if you didn't have that, the likelihood that you close them would be way lower, but you would attribute the failed close to bad cold calling, mm -hmm. but you could have given the assist with brand, with content. But what if the sales cycle of your product is different? Does that dictate which way you should go? I'm a realtor. Do you pick a lane, all of the lanes, and does that matter that the product isn't a consumable can of Coca-Cola or a bottle of water, but it's a transaction experience that you're going to have to go through in the mm -hmm. sales cycle? I don't think it would matter at all. If you're a realtor, warm outreach is going to be you reaching out to your friends and family saying, do you know anybody who's interested in buying a house? Now, mm -hmm. ideally, you'd probably not start with that because that's what every realtor says. Mm -hmm. So it might be something like, hey, what's your dream home or something like that? And then you can start talking about something more interesting. Cold reach outs is you're just dialing numbers. That is cold reach out. Mm -hmm. If you're making content, you're talking about the houses that you're selling and many realtors do that. Mm -hmm. Then you have paid ads, which also plenty of realtors either generate buyer or seller leads mm -hmm. that they call and then they can help them sell their house. So that would be the core four. A good realtor should also have friends who are ancillary to the industry. I say, you want to sell the vacation, not the plane flight. And so a lot of people, when they want to sell stuff, they talk about the widgets, right? They talk about TSA. They talk about checking their bag and taking their shoes off and who they're going to sit next to on the plane and the seat and how long the flight's going to be and the modules and the services and whatever. But people just want Maui. You should be describing the beach and the ocean and the, what they're going to experience the moment they get into the hotel room right? And they can open up the, the curtains and they look out the window. Like that's what we should be describing, not how they're going to get there. And this is a little hack for everyone. Any type of services business, let's say you're an agency that does SEO, whatever. And it takes you 14 days to on-ramp somebody. Mm -hmm. Rather than saying, we're going to touch in every week. In that week, you probably do like 25 things, mm -hmm. right? But you're going to have one meeting. If you want to be really clever every day, send an email that says, Hey, no need for reply. Just want to let you know, we did these three things. We'll recap at the end of the week, but I just want to let you know where we're at. If you send progress reports every day, what happens is you create multiple reinforcement cycles. And so you're setting and completing, setting and completing. And so at day seven, when normally your competitor has only talked to them, this is the first time they talked to them since the sale, you had a warm handoff and they've received communication from you every single day. So this is like the eighth touch point Correct. for them. And now their trust in you is so much higher, which then translates to way lower backouts, way higher ascensions into whatever your next uh, revenue thing is or the next product or expansion revenue. And more referrals and testimonials. So, hey, guys, if you're like me, I am always on the lookout to try to eliminate these cold and flu symptoms. I got to tell you, literally right now, as I'm recording this, the last three or four days, I was struggling. I've had a cough. I've been congested. I tried an IV. I went and did a bunch of vitamin C. I've tried about everything under the sun. None of it has been working. Bam, someone sends me Armra colostrum, and it has changed everything. Here's the kicker. In clinical trials, Bovine colostrum was found to be at least three times more effective than the flu vaccine at preventing the flu. So here's our special offer. We've worked out a special offer for my audience. Receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash mylet. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash mylet. Or enter mylet to get 15% off your first order. That's tryarmra.com. T-R-Y-A-R-M-A dot com slash mylet. These statements and products have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease or condition. These statements and information are not a substitute for or alternative to seeking care from your health care providers. So, hey, guys, you know when I love technology and a great idea revolutionizes an old industry. And by the way, if there's an industry that needs a revolution, I think you'd agree with me, it's the healthcare care industry. 
It's not easy to find good doctors. And by the way, good doctors that are in your area that also take your insurance. And that's why I love ZocDoc. They are revolutionizing the healthcare industry and the way you get access to doctors. ZocDoc, by the way, is Z-O-C-D-O-C. Here's who they are. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Tons of different reviews on the doctors and they're local to you. You can find out if they take your insurance. I just did it for a tear I had in my shoulder. One day later, I'm in the doctor's office getting some help, getting an order for an MRI. So go to ZocDoc.com slash MyLet and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash MyLet. ZocDoc.com slash MyLet. You are happy right now. This is the best... This is the best version of me I've had so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I realized for me that my when I look back on the, my short life, mm-hmm. um, the times that I have that I look as the good old times were always the times where I was in pursuit, not when I was in achievement. The idea that I think inhibits or prevents a lot of entrepreneurs from continuing down the path is that they are like, I'm not happy. Happiness, a lot of times, is just a circumstantial response to whatever external thing. You can be joyful if you reframe the joy around the person you are becoming by doing the hard work. The thing that has, I think right now, been my biggest area of interest in terms of my own performance has been truly divorcing outcome from winning. I want to be the father that when Timmy wins 10-0, I can look at him and be like, I'm disappointed in you, not because of the outcome, because I know you could have tried harder. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, if he loses 10-0, I'm gonna be like, Timmy, you worked your ass off. You left it all on the field. I'm proud of you. I wanna be Timmy to me. If I know that I had done everything in my absolute power to prepare, then I could still be proud of me and I would have earned my approval. It's today's special. It's not every day you sit across from a three-time Super Bowl champion. Super Bowl MVP, let's just be real, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, one of the greatest athletes of all time. And by the way, ironically, I think actually one of the most underrated athletes of all time. It's a fact. But actually, as impressive as his football career was, I like the fact that the dream didn't stop there and he was able to post-football create an incredible brand an incredible career, an incredible life post-football. So I just want to pick the brain of the great Troy Aikman. Troy, good to have you. Yeah, great to be on. Great to meet you. Yeah, I've been you, looking forward to this. You too. What's the through line? And don't be humble today. Between like a Troy Aikman, a John Elway, a Tom Brady, what is the through line that made you all great leaders? We are all different. We all lead in a different way, which is true of any field, of mm-hmm. course. I think that probably what the through line is for all great quarterbacks, great leaders at that position, or in general, is that they they put in the work and and they're not outworked. First of all, you got to play well, but you have to also be the guy who your teammates understand is is there putting in the work and doing what's necessary Mm. in order to be the best that you can be. And I think that those guys that you mentioned, I'd like to think that I'm one of them as well, Mm. that uh, your teammates never questioned your commitment, your dedication, uh, and your persistence to being the best that you could be. A lot of people don't deal very well with rejection or failure, but a lot, a lot, and you know this, whether it's been business people you've met in your life or people that are in a good relationship or an athlete, guys work really hard to win a championship. 
and then something happens to them after they win a championship, that hunger, the drive, whatever it is. Most people deal very poorly with winning is the truth. It seems like that has not happened to you. My approach, whether it's in football or whether it was in broadcasting or it's in my personal life, is that most people aren't willing to do the work. That, to me, is what has driven me throughout my life and in, in, in everything that I've done. I feel like my success as a player was because I just refused to be outworked. And so I was going to do what was ever, whatever was required. It's been about discipline and commitment. Watching a lot of football, your rookie year was not gorgeous. You weren't winning a Super Bowl that year. No. And, and, um, <laughs> no. and how you dealt with a lot of the rejection and failure, criticism that came with it. And probably even to this day, you get criticism, people saying things about you that aren't really yeah. favorable. How do yeah. you deal with that? I was 0-11 as a starter. It was tough. I took a beating. We weren't very good up front. I just remember thinking, man, what does it take to win a game in this league? But I never lost confidence. There were days when it was hard. It was hard to be positive. It was hard to be upbeat. Fortunately, my very first game, my second season, we won. And so I got that monkey off my back. And then over time, we slowly got better and better. And then, of course, we won the Super Bowl in my fourth year and had great success. If you get criticized enough, you just learn that it's just part of it. Criticism just comes with the dinner. You know deep down if there's truth to those criticisms. Sure. So I try to evaluate myself objectively. And I don't dismiss that. My dad was really tough, demanded a lot. He treated me like I was a grown man from the time I was six years old. In some ways, that's good. Mm -hmm. And I do think that in a lot of ways, that is why I was able to go on and achieve a lot of the things that I achieved. But boy, you give up a lot. Mm -hmm. You give up a lot of childhood. Your face just changed. Yeah, you give up. Yeah. You know, you give up a lot. Yeah. When you're treated like that at a young age, I don't recall any laughter in our house. And, mm-hmm. you know, everybody kind of walked around on eggshells. I'm not that way as a father. Mm-hmm. But with that said, I'm better now. But there were times then when you were around that, it made you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, you just weren't used to experiencing that. You know, mm-hmm. you'd hear this laughter and stuff going on. And you're like, what's going on? Do you think you were proving something to him as you were achieving? I think I, I, think I always wanted to prove to him I was as tough as he was. I think mm-hmm. that was what it was. Tough. Yeah. You had to be tough to survive in our house. And he was pound for pound the toughest person I've ever known. You're an amazing son. I'm sure he's unbelievably proud of you. The life I've chosen is definitely worth it. I have no regrets. There's nothing I look back on and think, ah, man, I wish I'd have done that a little bit differently. I mean, I know that I've given up a lot, but there's a balance. I used to think contentment was a four-letter word. Now I really admire those that are content. As long as it's put in the right context. I now am finding contentment. But before I could never have uh, been in that space, I feel like I've been a really good father. The only thing that's mattered to me is if my girls at the end of my life say, hey, my dad was a great father, then nothing else matters. I mean, you say, hey, you're not really thought of as being a top five all-time quarterback. I don't care. But I think I could maybe make that top five all-time dad list. That's what motivates me. That's what matters to me. Our story is going to be told by those who know us best. And I'm thrilled with where I'm at. I mean, life just keeps getting better. Um, So, yeah, I'm happy. I think it's because you're getting better. Yeah. Every once in a while, I like to use my platform to highlight an up-and-comer. You know, like a rookie. Just somebody who needs some elevation in their life. And so today is one. Is one of the, I'm just kidding. This the my guest today is uh, writing his 88th book. He is a legend. He is a uh, mentor to me. He's uh, a friend. I'm getting emotional already. Um, and he is a, a hero of mine. 
And uh, I aspire to be more like him in my life. And uh, I'm so grateful that he's in my life. I'm so grateful that he's going to share this time with us today for the third time on the show. And every time he's on, the downloads go crazy. And he's also one of the greatest communicators who's ever lived. And he's written a book about it. And uh, if anybody is qualified to write this book, it is this man. His new book is called The 16 Undeniable Laws of Communication. Apply them and make the most of your message. And he does it every time I'm with him. John Maxwell, welcome back to the show, brother. Ed, it's so good to be with you. An amateur speaker or a newer speaker doesn't like silence. They talk too fast and they talk too much, in my opinion. You are the all-time best at the pause and the moment in between the words so that it makes an impact. The hardest thing to coach people in speaking is the pause. The reason that we're uncomfortable when we speak with pausing is the moment I stop, I give up control to the audience. And we subconsciously don't want to give up control. The pause underlines your words. If I pause, wow, the people are on that thought. If I don't pause, I immediately move them on. What happens is the people are trying to catch up with them the whole time. They're never with them because they're behind them. And if somebody's behind me, whatever I'm saying doesn't have its full effect. If we speak fast all the time, they can't feel emotionally the words. And if they can't feel emotionally, the words don't have the same impact on them. When you pause, you give people a chance to hear the whisper. When you say things that are substantial and things that have meat to them, and have application to them. If you pause sometimes, what you said whispers to your heart. In fact, I ask myself when I hear a speaker, did I hear the whisper any time during the speech? And I can only hear the whisper if the speaker lets me have a little time, a couple seconds, just to settle in. Silence is an act of war against the competing voices within us. I want them to hear my voice, but there's a higher voice. My voice, they'll forget. The higher voice, they will not forget. When you look at the audience, there are four words that they start with an F that you have to constantly be aware of while you're teaching. And the first one is, how does my audience feel? Do they feel like they're happy and excited? And do they, do they have, are they already leaning in? You know, are they, are, you know, are they laid back? Then they go to that second F. If I can find out how you feel, and I can say, you know what? I have felt the same way. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm feeling. He, he understands me. And then that third F is, and let me tell you what I found that worked for me. So that now you tell them kind of what you've learned, and then you use the fourth F is, and I think that I can help you find the answer too. And the moment that you get those four Fs and you're working those four Fs for your teacher, you follow me? It yes. works. It just yes. works. One of the things I don't like about success is it separates us from people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I hate that. I don't want fans. I want friends. I've spoken 13,000 times in over 100 countries of the world. Of course I'm a great communicator. But what people don't understand, it was the practice. You cannot separate action from success. And you can't separate intentional practice from success. After 13,000 times, of course I'm good because I've been practicing and practicing. But if they could have seen me on the front end, it would have helped them because that's where they are. When we tell stories about different times in our life, it does help people see us in another dimension that is very helpful for the, for the learning and the growth. 
but I don't like the separation that success brings. I wish there was a way to to close that gap because you don't help people when you're separated from people. You only help people when you're beside them and you, and you walk with them and, and they can connect with you, if that makes sense. Yeah. I have, uh, it's my opinion, but I think it's shared by about 98% of the population. I have the greatest college football player in history in front of me here today. He was also a first-round draft pick in the NFL. He also played professional baseball. He's also a TV icon now, and he's a great force for good and force for God in the world, and it's somebody that I've admired from a distance for many, many years, and so many of you have asked me, can we please listen in on a conversation with you and this man, and so we're going to do it today. Please share it, because this is going to be epic. Tim Tebow, welcome to the show, brother. Oh, thank you so much. I've read where your father would tell you that you were a miracle. Yes, he would. My dad is um, such a massive hero of mine is because he did it in places where they said, if, if you tell people about the love of your God, we'll kill you. Mm-hmm. And he still did. Mm-hmm. When I was 15 and I was in the jungles of the Philippines and I met a boy who was born with his feet on backwards. And because of that... Um, his village viewed him as cursed, as less than, as insignificant, and uh, he was a throwaway to his village. Mm. But I knew that day that he wasn't a throwaway to God, mm. and God was putting on my heart that he better not be a throwaway to you. Mm. I've known that I was supposed to fight for boys and girls, men and women, hurting people all around the world that were viewed as less than, because okay. to God, nobody is. Nobody is. So that when he did give me athletic ability or strength, it wasn't so that I could carry a football Mm -hmm. or hit a baseball. Mm -hmm. It was so that you can lift him up first and foremost, but then hurting people that the world has put down and you can lift them up. Mm -hmm. And that is still um, what I believe is my greatest calling to this day. I wish, I hope people can feel what I'm feeling sitting three feet from you. You've taken a lot of criticism in your life, bro. A lot. You took a lot of criticism for standing up for your faith. Tons of it. You were made fun of. You were mocked. Then you get to the NFL. Ah, he can't throw. He can't play. Then you have the courage. Nah, I'm going to go play baseball. Oh, Tim Tebow's a baseball player now, right? (laughs) But you've been willing to take criticism for your convictions, your beliefs, and your dreams. Most people aren't. For so much of my life in sports, I loved it so much. I was so passionate Mm -hmm. that I would be willing to sacrifice. It didn't come from a place of hard work. It came from a place of caring, caring about the game, Mm -hmm. loving my teammates, Mm -hmm. loving the coaches, not wanting to let people down. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that that would drive me to go to the nth degree. I think for me in in that moment, I felt such a weight, a burden, and a responsibility because I missed the mark. I did. As a leader... As the quarterback, as a part of Gator Nation, I bleed orange and blue. Mm. It was my grandfather's dream for him to see Florida win an SEC championship. And he died before that happened. It meant that much to me. I wanted to say something. I wanted to say something. I didn't have to. I didn't need to. Mm. But I I felt like I was supposed to. And there's a difference. I believe when you do something wrong, the first thing you should do is apologize. And so I apologized twice. I'm just so grateful for my parents and trying to instill this is to apologize and then say how it's going to be different. And see, what's funny is people will, will sometimes quote and they'll be like, oh, you promised y'all we're going to win the national championship. I'm like, I never said that. Say that. I can't make a promise right. that... I don't know if it'll come true. And Mm -hmm. so I promised something I believed I could control was that I was going to be the hardest working player because I believe I could control that. 
So I get asked all the time, how did I get so much attention on social media, in my businesses, email list, et cetera? I can tell you straight up, it's been constant contact. If you don't know who Constant Contact is, you need to know about these guys. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses, mine being one of them, stand out, stay on top of mind, and see big results fast. They've got an easy way to promote your business with powerful tools like email, SMS marketing, social media posting, and they even do events management, what they've done for me in the past as well. You're going to reach new audiences. You're going to grow your customer list big time and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and grow fast on social media. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Hey, guys, I want to talk to you about Shopify. You know, when I started this show, the furthest thing from my mind was doing online business, and now I can't imagine my life without it. So I love Shopify because they're a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. So whether you're in the startup phase where you're just launching your online store or you're at that really big business where you're like, hey, we just hit a million bucks in order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. They've helped me through every single stage. I wouldn't even know what to do without them. So whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered big time. They help turn browsers into buyers. They convert their checkouts 36% better than all the leading competitors. And I've used them for everything I do online. So every single thing you see that I market online, Shopify is somehow involved. I wouldn't even know what to do without them. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash mylet, all lowercase, Go to shopify.com slash mylet now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash mylet. What advice you would give people about living in a more intentional Oof. existence? When we want to be fulfilled, it is not what we're going to take in. It's what we're going to give out. And it's that's just not even close because you know how many conversations I've had and how many people that I've read about and seen that have reached the pinnacle of what they wanted to do in their occupation and how many conversations we've had in the middle of the night where they said, man, I just thought it was going to mean more. Yes. I just thought it was yes. going to mean more. But man, when we step out of our comfort zone, when we all of a sudden, you know, the homeless guy at the light, we stop and we share with him yes. and we give him something. We take him to go get some food. Yeah. And all of a sudden his life isn't just different. Our life is different. Mm -hmm. And we need to go back and we need to remember what matters, our non-negotiables, our convictions, all the amazing things that God has done in our life. And we need to focus on those things. And so, you know, when when we get out of bed and we focus on those things, then we, we reframe our mind. We go back to what matters. Sure. We go back to what's important. We're encouraged by good things. And now we go get ready to head out to life. I have um, two quotes on my, on my wall when I was young and growing up is one of them was somewhere he is out there training while I am not. And when we meet, he will win. He's training for my scholarship. He's training for the championship. He's training for the trophy. He's training for the moment. He's training for all of that while I am not. I didn't, I, I couldn't, I can't get up in the middle of the night because I want to have a work ethic, but I can get up in the middle of the night because I have a conviction that I want to be my best because I have one life. I have mm -hmm. one opportunity. I have one chance. Mm -hmm. That can get me up at night. Mm -hmm. Not because, man, I want to be so disciplined to be a hard worker. Mm -hmm. There's no weight behind it. Mm -hmm. Very few people have the chance to be the best in something. Yeah. And so are we going to wake up and say, hey, with this day, with this moment, with this year, mm -hmm. with my life, with mm -hmm. this chance, mm -hmm. 
because I believe that I'm here for a reason, that I have purpose, that I can make a difference, that I love what I'm doing, that I'm passionate, which passion ultimately also just means, passion is a 12th century Latin word that means to suffer. And where did the word even comes from is from the passion of the Christ that Jesus cared so much for humanity that he's willing to go to the cross to suffer for them. So when we say we're passionate about something, it's not excitement, motivation, or hype. Mm-hmm. It means that we care so much about something we're willing to suffer for. So when we say, hey, we love something, we're passionate, know what we're talking about. Oh, my God. That means we're going to sacrifice. And so mm-hmm. do you love it? Mm-hmm. Are you passionate about it? Mm-hmm. Right? Do you want to make the most of your life, of your time? We don't know how much time we're going to have, but man, when we have have it. Let's run after the things we love and we're called to. I want to finish my life saying, you know what? I, I know I messed up so many times, but man, with the race that was set before me, I ran. And one day when I get to heaven, I don't want to get to heaven well rested. I want to get to heaven exhausted. How the heck are you doing this? You're like exceeding what I thought you would possibly do today. <laughs> People are like level 26 on the treadmill right now. I'm ready to run through the daggum wall, (laughs) and I'm dead serious right now. Fired up about today. Producer calls me about six months ago and goes, hey, Jewel wants to come on your show. And I'm like, yes, immediately, yes. But I had no idea what we were going to talk about. It was just, it was Jewel. We got a legend to come on my show. I'm like, absolutely, yes. And then I started to prepare for the podcast. And they're like, oh, she's a mental health advocate. I'm like, oh, that's nice. A celebrity who's a mental health advocate. There's a few of those. And then I started (laughs) to dig into her work. And then I went, whoa. And then I fell in love with her work. And I've been in this loop for off and on for about six months learning from her. Because she's not just a mental health advocate. She's a strategist. And she's somebody who has lived through this in a way that makes her authentic in the tools that she teaches and her experience in her life. Obviously, you all know her, multi-Grammy-nominated artist, my favorite voice of all time, and somebody whose music I've listened to for about 20 years. But we're not going to talk that much about music today. We're going to talk about making your life better. So, Jewel, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks. I really appreciate it. So good to have you. You guys, this is an all-timer. Did you think you're going to hear someone who's been nominated for a bunch of Grammys? We're going this deep on something? Like, this is an all-freaking-timer. I think it's incredible that an 18-year-old young woman with really no upbringing has the vision, the intuition, to even begin to stop and study, like, her hands for two weeks. That's mind-blowing to me. Educate us a little bit on this idea that you've noticed this and that I think you believe you can't be in two states at once, right? I was 18. I was homeless. I wouldn't have sex with a boss. He wouldn't give me my paycheck, and I couldn't pay my rent. Started living in my car. My car got stolen. I ended up homeless. I was having panic attacks. I was agoraphobic, and I was shoplifting a lot. Your hands are the servants of your thought. Maybe if I can watch what my hands are doing, doing, it'll tell me what I'm thinking. So I'm going to write down everything I do for two weeks. At the end of two weeks, I sat down to look at like my data, trying to figure out what I was thinking. And it dawned on me, I hadn't had a panic attack in two weeks. What I stumbled on was being present. I stumbled on mindfulness, following my hands around, forced me to be so present all day long that I couldn't worry about a future that wasn't happening yet and freak myself out into a panic attack. I hated writing when I wanted to steal. If I loved writing, I'd written my whole life. Why did I hate writing then? I shut my eyes and I thought about shoplifting. I get very excited. My mind gets very sharp. Like I get excited and it's intense. I think about writing. My body immediately leans back. 
my voice drops, I get slower, my mind softens, my whole countenance changes. That was so interesting to me. So I wrote down relaxed and excited. And that was like my first way of trying to relate to these two physiological states. I kept a journal of three things, thinking, feeling, doing. Every time I was excited, I wrote down thinking, feeling, doing. Then as I began to refine these words, I, I changed it to dilated, oh, relaxed, open, dilated, uh. contracted, excited, anxious, worried. And also it doesn't matter if it's a thought that triggers your contracted state or if it's a feeling or if it's an action, it doesn't matter. It starts a cascade and it's neurochemical and you get this intense response in your body. So the first time I got this to work for me in a, in a really profound way was when I felt a panic attack coming on. I looked at my list on my dilated. I saw that one of the emotions that worked for me was gratitude. And I was able to substitute. I was able to force myself to do something on my dilated list that elicited a physiological response in my body that caused me not to have a panic attack. And that was exciting because I really knew I was onto something that was going to change my life forever. I've heard you talk about this, that at some point you wanted to learn to nurture whatever you thought your nature was. And that at the same time, you said this thing about you really can't be in two states at once. I had a bunny named Caramel on the ranch I was raised on. And this rabbit was raised with chickens and it pecked at its food and it waddled, which is adorable until you move out at 15 and you go, what if I'm a bunny that thinks it's a chicken? Will I ever know my nature if my nurture was so f up. And orange's peel is its response to its environment to protect its fruit, right? What if my psyche was a response to protect myself from my environment and it had nothing to do with what was the fruit? I spent all of my time on this outward exterior when what actually really mattered was what was I inside of here? I just had to develop a relationship with it and I had to develop strategies of getting to know my nature. Writing was one way, being quiet was another way and then ultimately other strategies. I don't like affirmative thinking. It just never worked for me because it felt like lying. I tried it. I yeah. looked in the mirror. I said, I know what I'm doing. And my body went, you're lying. That's right. Your neurology because completely contradicts. Because my physiological state, That's right. That's right. it didn't change. Exactly. exactly. Yes. So it was baloney. Correct. So I had to find what I call an antidote thought. The sentence I ended up finding that worked was, I won't quit till I learn. To this day, it makes me tear up. It is so true about me. And literally, it's sometimes just clinging to saying the sentence over and over so that your body can relax. Get your body into in a different state. Now you're not going to have a knee-jerk response, right? A, a, a neurological knee-jerk response that is your nurture. You're going to be able to have a thoughtful, formed response that's in alignment with your nature. The pattern and the tools that Jules just presented just there could be the trigger for you to become in a very resourceful, successful peak state as opposed to an unresourceful, lazy, unproductive state. It may not be sad or happy or anxiety or fear versus power. It may be just success. Someone listening to this or watching this right now that says, my spouse did this to me, or my friend did this to me, or I was raised a particular way. It felt like it wasn't all just my choosing, but that some things happened to me. What are some of those tools that you would suggest to somebody who's feeling those feelings? In the the game of healing, in the, in the job of healing, nobody cares about fault. It's either you learn to heal or you don't. You learn to make a healthier, more nourishing choice now that you know better. Once you know, what are you going to do? Will you accept the responsibility of it? Learning for me to know the difference between a reason and an excuse. I had a lot of reasons why I couldn't be happy. But when I stopped accepting excuses for why I couldn't be now, 
my life changed. I think healing is a gritty, gritty job. It's you looking in the mirror and going, what do I got? No one's coming for me. I'm coming for me. What am I willing to do? What am I willing to do different today than I did yesterday? Will I take notes on it? Will I see if it worked? If it doesn't, will I try something new tomorrow? I still don't think I've produced the amount of bliss and happiness in my life that I'm worthy of, that I should have more. Do you relate to that at all? Happiness is a side effect of choices. And often we don't know what's prompting our choices. And why are we being driven to choices that lead to the side effect of dissatisfaction? You know, unfulfilling relationships, unfulfilling friendships, things that don't nourish us, things that deplete us. I had to really come to terms with it was me doing this to myself. I kept choosing abusive people. I kept choosing people that took from me. I kept choosing to give more than I should give. It was me behind the wheel of my body. What was I doing? What was driving me to these results that led to unhappiness? And could I choose differently? Developing a lot of those tools and strategies for myself started helping me make better choices. I've been talking to this man about having him on the show here for, I don't know, like six or eight months And you would think, well, you want to have him on because he's this, you know, Grammy-nominated artist that everybody knows. And that's not really why I wanted him on. I wanted him on because this man has dimension and depth. Uh, He's a really unique person because he's obviously very talented, sold millions and millions of records. But he's got this dimension and depth because of his life experience and because of his work on himself and personal development. He's also got a book out called Adversity for Sale, and it's really, really good. I read the entire thing in two days. So, Jeezy J. Jenkins, welcome to the show. What's up? How you doing, my brother? It's so good to have you, and I'm doing very well. It's, it's an honor to be here, man. You well, thank it. you. You got this thing in, that you write about, about your something GPS. I my, want you to My do, mental GPS. This is so good. If your reputation is good, and you're a good person, and you pour into people, even at your hardest time, somebody might just point you at the right person or send you in the right direction because they know you're good. The reason why I call it mental GPS, I feel like there will never be a time in my life where if I lost it all tomorrow that I couldn't get it back. Because I, I know I understand it and I know how to get back where I left and then to keep up on that, to keep on that path. Mm-hmm. And when you from where we from, when you lose it, people go bad. They'll rob their brother. They'll mm-hmm. take from their best friend. I've seen situations where people murder their closest friends. The sad thing is like the culture respects violence more so than money. Either you're going to be a leader that leads with evolution or you're going to be a leader that leads with violence. Mm-hmm. And that's how it works. You ever heard like when we talk, we say, wow, the good guys got to go. Yeah. Those are the ones that get killed. Why is adversity the topic of the book? And why did you think this is the thing I want to talk about? My purpose is to continue to evolve mm-hmm. no matter what, but mm-hmm. to continue to give that information back to my culture mm-hmm. and to my people and to be an example of what it's like to come out of that because every situation that I've been in and it's funny that we was talking about God I don't care how crazy it got he always put somebody in my life around the time that I needed some information or a ear or a connection I truly believe that he does that for me to show people that you can maintain your integrity and be a solid individual and still survive you know without doing anything that would go against who you are as a man, Mm -hmm. and then your legacy. Adversity to me is that small glare of hope. You said something so important that God has sent you that person when you needed him. The information, the insight, whatever it might be. I want everybody to hear this. He does that for you too. 
The mm. difference is you need to be an expectation that he's going to and aware that he's going to because right. he has probably sent those people to you previously in your life. And if you're not aware he's doing it or open to the possibility he's doing it, you will miss them. You have to be in a good place too, though. You have to be in a good place with yourself. I really realized that because it was times that I wasn't in a good place with myself and it was just a bunch of noise. I mm. let things on the outside of me control my emotions, how I felt. I just had to come to a place where I just started to understand what peace mm. was like. The minute I started going inward, everything changed because now I can't fault anyone in my life mm. for what they've done to me. I have to look inside and see what I've done to contribute to that. When I started to understand that is when things started to slow down. Hey guys, I got to tell you about a new product I tried and I love called Z-Biotics. It's a pre-alcohol probiotic drink and it's the world's first ever genetically engineered probiotic for before you drink. So it's invented by their PhD scientists to help tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted to a toxic byproduct in your gut. It's this byproduct, not necessarily dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. So Z-Biotics produces an enzyme to help break this byproduct down. Just remember to drink Z-Biotics, your first drink of the night. Drink responsibly, and you'll feel better tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com slash edmylet to get 15% off your first order when you use edmylet at checkout. Z-Biotics is back with a 100% money-back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked at all. Remember, head to zbiotics.com slash edmylet and use the code edmylet at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Z-Biotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times. You find yourself performing with Jay-Z or you're mm-hmm. in the studio with Kanye or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I know the answer because I know, but I want them to hear this. You had, and then, and then you didn't really start in music. It's not like mm-hmm. you, you had to have some massive imposter syndrome at some point. Right. Like, do I belong with these dudes? I don't think I've ever had imposter syndrome. I've been around people that I've felt like they wasn't who they say they are. When I started to get around certain people, I'm like, oh, this is a persona. This is an act. But I'm like, oh, what does that mean for me then? Am I doing the wrong thing? Or am I doing the right thing? Because I'm living this. Like, I would live and die for this. That was the only imposter syndrome. I was feeling like they wasn't like me. When I got into the music, the music was just a way to amplify that. But I still had what it takes to survive in the streets. And if you go to any penitentiary, any neighborhood, Anywhere that anybody congregates on survival, they know who I am. They know you. And nobody sees me out like, yo, I love the last album you did. No, no. It's just like, hey, bro, you changed my life. Mm. I love you, man. I'm praying for you. And that's the part that I can't let them down with. Mm. So that's why I refuse to give up that part of me that's who I am as an authentic person just to fit in somewhere. I am really excited to talk to this man today because You know, it's interesting. I was really a fan of his work. I think probably my favorite comedic television character of all time, seriously. I know it's it's my wife's for sure, is Dwight from The Office. I mean, like, the favorite character of my wife ever. And because of that, how much belly laughing I've done in my life because of this man. Probably mine. And then I start digging into him. And his work outside of acting, to me, with all due respect, is 100 times more compelling than his prolific acting career. And I mean it. I read his entire book in one sitting, and then I handed the book to my wife and said, you need to read this, and she read it in one setting. And I just think because his work affects me and the things that I'm, the stage of my life, what Rain's talking about is the most important to me. So my guest today is Rain Wilson. 
His book is called Soul Boom, right here, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution, and I couldn't agree more. So, Rain, welcome to the show, brother. Ed, what a fantastic introduction. I got to say that my favorite radio slash podcast host's wife is your wife. And I don't mean anything disrespectful. And I'm also wondering if the one, the single sitting of the reading of my book happened on the toilet or not. It was not. It was actually on a chair on the beach. So not quite. Although, although I'm 52, so I had to use the toilet three or four times as I sat there sure. and read it. But I held it because the book was that good. So what do you mean when you say reinvigorate the word spirituality and why do we need to in our culture? We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Our reality is that we are divine beings. We're having this visceral, tangible, three-dimensional consciousness-induced experience as a human being on planet Earth until we're not anymore and we move on. This experience, which has to do with our divine qualities, the spiritual virtues that we carry with us, kindness, love, humility, honesty, our connection to our higher power, our connection to nature, all of the aspects of the what I would call the higher nature of humanity, as opposed to our more egoistic, animalistic aspects of our humanity. When we are driven by our animal impulses, as I have been, those are the more animalistic parts of ourselves. That's what spirituality is. It's our relationship with our soul. I think about death a lot. I find that it causes me to be more present and want to live fully in the moment because I know these moments, to some extent, in my body are fleeting. My favorite people think about the end of their lives more than other people do. Whereas a lot of people, I think they literally believe thinking everybody else is going to die except them. We are all going to die. This is the only culture in human history that has shunned conversations about death. Death has been a part of the ongoing human conversation for 100,000 years. In fact, the earliest evidence of spirituality in humanity is the earliest evidence of humanity, which are burial mounds 200,000 years old, where people are buried with implements they're going to need on their journey. Humans have always viewed death as a continuation of an ongoing journey. We dig in a conversation of death to better frame the experience of being alive. We are not, as a culture, talking about suffering enough. What is the purpose of suffering? The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? And that leads us to death. You talk about death, you talk about suffering, and that builds resilience. And you understand that suffering is a part of life. It's not something to be avoided. If we are souls having a human experience and we're continuing on our journey, then what is our purpose on earth? Well, our purpose is to grow those spiritual qualities. One of the principal ways that we grow our souls is through suffering. Mm -hmm. So there is a divine purpose to suffering. Think of all of the suffering that we could end and reduce if we weren't fighting each other and building instruments of war constantly. There is a great mystery and a great purpose to suffering. Who wants to work with someone with a small life and a high drive and a tiny little life and lots of greed? No one wants to work with someone like that. We want to turn being self-centered from being other-centered. Being other-centered actually makes you happier. This process of service to others and thinking about service to others you can start it for selfish reasons. Start doing it because it'll make you happier. It'll bring you more fulfillment. And actually other people will be drawn to you like a magnet. 
because you're engaging in this process of service to others. And then before too long, you may start doing it for yourself. And then all of a sudden you just fall in love with the doing of it. Look at the data around gratitude, how service to others can help you, how it gives you a happier, richer life. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to human connection. Today's a really special show for me for a few reasons. One is what we're gonna cover, the nature of the topics we're gonna discuss today. Um, I believe are gonna move you and affect you. And I don't think you'll be the same at the end of this hour. Mm. That's my prayer. The second reason I'm excited is I'm a fan of this man, just as a person, as I've got to know some of our mutual friends, got to know him a little bit. I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of this man personally. I feel his heart and his spirit. Even when he just instantly walked in the room now, I felt it. Third thing is I was a fan of his music. He's one of the great country music stars of the last decade, and I've enjoyed his work and his artistry for a very long time. But he's sort of in this transitional phase of his life that many of you are in, too. But it was born out of sort of a tragic event that I want to discuss with him today. So, Granger Smith, finally, welcome to the show, brother. Man, great intro. Thank you so much, brother. I feel uh, so much mutual respect for you as well. Thank you, man. Something happened in your family just a few years ago with your precious boy, River. Why don't you just take the floor and tell everybody what took place? Yeah, June 4th, 2019. It's about 7.30 p.m. And that's a beautiful time in Texas, mm. early June. And touring's great. Mm. You know, the, the 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 sky is blue. It's before it gets too hot. So you get this mm-hmm. blue sky and these big puffy white clouds and everything is in bloom. And I remember I was outside with my kids, three kids. And it was the night before I'm leaving for a summer tour. Mm-hmm. I was barefoot in the grass and the boys are playing water gun fight and I'm spotting my daughter as she's doing some gymnastics. And my wife Amber's in the house, getting the house ready for bed, for everybody to go to bed. And I remember out there just thinking to myself, I'm, I was holding my daughter's ankles and I, I remember thinking in that moment, soak in this moment hmm. because it won't last forever. Wow. And I was thinking much more surface level, just the kids are going to grow up. These are good times. We're we're living in the good times. The good old days are today. Mm. Soak in this moment. Really? Everything was good. You know, mm. things were really good. And I'd worked hard for a long time to get to a moment like this where work was great. Mm. Uh, the family was in a solid place. Uh, we, we had our three kids and that was, that was it. Like mm. River was our, our youngest. He was three and he was the caboose. Mm. We had the family. We you had were the, the dream house. Now, dream too. house, yeah. dream property. Yeah. Everything we had built was there. Mm. It was good. Shortly after I, I thought that, that soak in this moment, I noticed that it was quiet, abnormally quiet for a three-year-old and a five-year-old boy playing water gun fight. And I thought, where's River? Mm. And that's not a crazy thought. He, he, River was an, an adventurer. He was always an explorer. He was always uh, the wild man of the house, yeah. wild hair and bare feet. Mm. And I, I looked over my left shoulder, and there he was in a pool, face down, inside the gated, locked pool. And so part of my recollection is just disbelief. How, how did he get in there? I, I'm not sure I'm seeing right. I, 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 there's no way I could, that could be him, but it is. And I, I ran and I crashed into the pool and I, I grabbed them. And, and I thought 
in my mind, I thought I was going to grab him and flip, and over, flip him and he would be coughing and, and scared and crying. And I'd say, buddy, what are you doing? How'd you get in here? How, you know you can't get in this pool. How'd you do this? Mm. My son Lincoln wasn't around at all. But that's not what happened. Instead, he was lifeless, cold, like a rag doll. His face was blue. His eyes were rolling around in his head. Horror. Absolute horror. Once again, I just couldn't, my brain could not compute what was going on. Uh, he was limp, and, and I took, took his limp body out and started CPR. But I didn't really know it. Just what I'd seen in movies. And, and I, I kind of knew, you know, breathe into his lungs, pump his chest, mm. breathe again. Not too hard, you know, don't want to hurt his chest. Mm-hmm. And then I remember thinking, maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe I break his sternum. Maybe that's not a big deal, you know? Mm-hmm. All these thoughts just rolling around in my head. Oh my, um, my daughter runs to get my wife. She comes out. And I say, I need my phone. I didn't have my phone on me. She goes back in to get my phone. She runs back out. We call 911. Dispatch is walking us through proper CPR. Uh, we lived out in the country, 10 minutes from emergency services. It seemed like an eternity. We would, we would occasionally get him to cough, but it wasn't conscious for him. It was more just a reaction of his body with, the, with air and water coming out. It was a, a um, to say it was a nightmare is an understatement. Yeah. Going through this, it's every parent's total fear. shock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, emergency services got there, instantly got his heartbeat back with electric shock. So I thought, dodged a bullet. You know, mm-hmm. that was a close one. Mm-hmm. Police officers are kind of holding me back and trying to get me to calmly tell them what happened. To them, it's a crime scene. You know, mm-hmm. one. Just sweetheart officer came up, this, this woman, and she said, they're taking him to the hospital. Get, get in your car, take your family, and go. Mm. And I said, okay. And I jumped in the car, we'd, and I looked back, and, and I saw that all these cops around the house and police officers, I mean, uh, firefighters, and, and they said, go, we got it. We'll lock up the house. Chased uh, the ambulance down the highway, got to the hospital. They transferred him to another hospital when they found out how critical it was. The second hospital, the children's hospital, they told us, they said, he's very, very sick, mm. but we still have hope. Mm. And so I thought then, you know, mm. I've just kept, these thoughts just kept coming back. Like, it's not as bad as it seems. Mm. Okay, maybe he's going to have some kind of brain damage. That's okay. At least we get our little boy back. <laughs> then that all crashed when the doctor came in and said, there's 0% chance of his brain ever functioning correctly ever again zero percent chance of life ever again Hmm. and we looked at him we said can we have a second opinion you know that's the only thing we could think to say Hmm. he said absolutely brought in another team neurologist came in they said we're going to affirm the same thing you just heard there's there's no chance (sighs) that was june the 6th 2019 for me River, I feel like I know him. Like This was your wild man a little bit, right? Yeah, this was. was the dude who went fast. Did you just, in that moment, decide, <laughs> I want to have him have this last ride? River, he loved going fast. Whether it was on a UTV or on a little toy tractor that he had, he always loved to go faster, faster, faster. That was his line. Faster, faster, faster. Mm. 
And as we needed to donate the organs, they needed to take him into the other operating room. So as we're, we started rolling it down, this bed down the hallway just had this thought, here he goes again on wheels. I told the nurse, I said, hey man, this guy loved to go fast. You think you could wheel him a little faster? And he looked around and he looked at everyone else that had their hands on that bed. He goes, hey guys, we're going to set a Texas record today. And it started going a little faster. Doors were opening on these, all these different hospital rooms and people were coming out and clapping and cheering him on. I thought, there he goes. He's going fast one last time. The slideshow was, was my biggest enemy. I was seeing images over and over of the night we lost him. I do still see the slideshow, even today, but it has lost its sting. Lost its power over you. It does not have its power yeah. over me. I remember everything about that morning, reading out of John 14. The disciple asked Jesus, Lord, why is it that you manifest yourself to us, the disciples, but not to the rest of the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. Pastor Piper comes in and he says, that's not unconditional love. That is profoundly conditional. He was saying, there's people that I love that I will save, redeem, restore, forgive and you could tell those people because those are the ones that keep my word. You've made a massive commitment. So if you're wondering like, hey, this is really interesting words this guy's got. Wow, really cool. I just felt really motivated and I'm going to pick my Bible up. Mm, it's a lot more than that. So tell them what you've decided to do with your life as a commitment. Jesus is talking a parable and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covers up. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. There's a word that we can't miss in that parable, and it's joy. If you don't feel that joy, you're not feeling it right. I love this message. I love the healing that's behind it. I love the transformation that it brings, the power of the word itself that the Bible says is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing the heart that I've decided to walk away from music just so that I could get out write books and tell people about this message, this treasure in a field. The cool part about how God works is that you, what you're doing is just planting the seeds. God provides for the harvest in people's lives. Right. And that harvest is going to show up, man, these seeds you're planting in ways that you can't even imagine in people's lives at different times. You think of yourself as a tree. You could bend and sway with the storms. You could have roots that go deep, but they can also intertwine with other trees around you to help you stand upright. And then and then spreading that seed. Someone, 10 years from now maybe, could come up and go, Granger Smith, yeah, I heard you, you, you don't know me, but I heard you on Ed's podcast about 10 years ago. Yeah. And you were that effect that John Piper was for you in okay. the truck on March 1st, 2020. That was you for me. Yeah. And I'll go praise God. There's all these things you can't take with you, but there are things you can leave here. Mm. And these are the seeds that you plant. I want the person listening to this on the treadmill right now who's like, yeah, I want to go all the way on that. When you're riding high and playing your music and there's sold out arenas, you didn't need it then. But now that you've gone through this tough time, what would you say to somebody who says that to you? So many times it takes tragic events mm -hmm. for us to see that we aren't in control. Okay. So, hey, I'll give God the credit for that. I think that was God's purpose. I'll let this guy ride high for a little bit. I'll let him see that he thinks he has the world at his, at his fingertips. I'll get him the authority for people to actually listen to him and trust him. Mm. Then I'll knock him down mm -hmm. so that he could only trust me. Mm. We will find out over time 
whether or not it was a seed sown in rocky soil that grows up quick and dies off. Mm -hmm. But the seed growing in good soil will know by its fruit over time. This is The Ed Milet Show. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen.